clients, colleagues, and friends of the firm. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to today's Rockefeller Capital Management special client event entitled Discussing the Path Forward. Today's event is the 11th in our series and will be a conversation between Greg Fleming and Chairman, CEO, and co-founder of Blackstone, Stephen A. Schwarzman. Without further ado, please allow me to introduce our president and CEO, Greg Fleming. Thank you, Tom, and good afternoon, everybody. Uh, clients of Rockefeller Capital Management, our colleagues, other friends of Rockefeller, welcome to the 11th, as Tom said, in this special series that we've been running uh, during this historic time for our clients. Uh, today, we've got a particularly uh, special guest, Steve Schwarzman, uh, and it's going to be Steve and me uh, talking about a range of issues for the next hour. Steve Schwarzman is quite frankly one of the most impactful Americans of this time in our history. He's had an extraordinary impact across business, finance, education, philanthropy, the arts, I could go on, in the United States and around the world. The centerpiece of his drive and success is his focus on excellence in all that he does. He encapsulated much of his strategy and approach to the many challenges he's taken on in his career in his recent book, appropriately titled, What It Takes, Lessons in the Pursuit of Excellence. Beyond all of this, Steve is a loyal and committed friend to so many. I'm fortunate to be in that group, and we are fortunate to have Steve with us today. So Steve, uh, good afternoon and welcome and for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot, Greg. So Steve, uh, lots of topics that people want to hear you on, so I'll jump, uh, jump right in. Um, you know, the first one, uh, and we can go from this to economy and, and Fed and government, but uh, the markets, uh, uh, the last three months have been, even in a career uh, with all the different things you've seen, uh, quite astounding. You know, we're at all-time highs in February, the equity market, and then, uh, you know, a major leg down in March, and then the biggest gain in the shortest time frame since 1933. And now a little bit of nervousness again the last few days. Can you talk a little bit about uh, markets, equity market, and uh, your views on uh, on this historic three-month period? Well, sure. Um, I, I, I think the um, uh, for everyone uh, on the call, they, they recognize that, um, that that the response to to COVID by uh, not only the U.S. government, by almost every government, was was basically uh, to uh, shelter in place, which which economically meant to shut down voluntarily uh, most of their economy. There were still some companies left operating uh, to, to 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 supply people who were in their homes, uh, and and some companies that had contracts were. Uh, 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 either people or uh, their companies continued to pay, but fundamentally, uh, we shut our economies. That's never been done uh, in my lifetime. Uh, and you know what you get when you shut your economy uh, is, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, you, you you simulate uh, a, a depression, uh, and that's assuming you do nothing but just let it happen. And, and so we've had uh, very high levels of unemployment, which you'd expect. The difference, uh, of course, is, is, is that we, we, we learned from history 
and um, particularly from the global financial crisis in 2008 9 uh, and and the US government in our country and the other governments around the world have res responded with massive uh, uh, intervention uh, for people as well as markets uh, and um, uh, basically we'll probably end up uh, uh, putting at least uh, four and a half to five billion dollars, a trillion dollars of stimulus into the economy to pay people who aren't working uh, uh, to, to, to fix our uh, health care system to uh, ultimately uh, uh, provide monies for state and localities and all kinds of lending programs uh, to keep businesses uh, uh, afloat. Uh, we went into this with a very strong uh, financial system, unlike uh, the, the last crisis. Uh, and uh, the stimulus bill followed by the Fed uh, within days um, doing massive stimulus that could hit, uh, you know, $6 trillion uh, or more. Uh, if it deployed everything, it could be $8 trillion. These are massive amounts of money in the context of roughly a $20 trillion economy. Uh, and if you add it all together, you probably uh, would be missing a quarter of income. Uh, my guess is like $5 trillion of income, um, uh, maybe more, uh, but, but you'd be spending that much or more in stimulus to replace that hole. And, and markets have gotten whipped around from thinking the world was ending uh, to the world being rescued. Uh, and, and that really explains um, uh, the massive moves uh, in, in those markets. And um, in, in fact, uh, the equity markets uh, until two days ago uh, got up pretty much to the levels uh, where they were before the crisis, although uh, the crisis itself uh, in terms of its impact on individual businesses and people, uh, people less so, but individual businesses remains. Um, so so um, it, it's been a time of exceptional volatility, a lot of optimism, uh, if you will, uh, also uh, created by the expectation that we'll get uh, a vaccine in record amounts of time. Typically, the, you know, the fastest vaccine that's ever been uh, developed is around four and a half years. We're expecting uh, to be successful uh, in, in six to eight months, uh, which is a huge reach, but there's a lot of work that's gone on over a hundred different vaccines uh, under development with a few uh, ahead of the pack at the moment where the expectation uh, is that you'll, you'll have knowledge uh, by October, November, in terms of whether uh, any of those uh, 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 potential uh, vaccine solutions uh, pass through uh, a certain level of trials where you have real reason to be optimistic. Steve, can I, can I go to the optimism versus the concern? As you said up front, uh, people were uh, clearly very concerned about, as you said, shutting down the economy and effectively creating depression-like conditions, and then there's been more optimism over time, uh, and and now a bit of a tug of war looking forward. You have uh, a 
real lens into what is actually going on uh, uh, in the economy across the country through so many companies you all invest in in the uh, you know your your footprint in the real estate space. How's that tug of war working? The optimism versus the the concern. Uh, you know uh, the uh, the employment report last Friday was much anybody predicted. Uh, you know, uh, governments are clearly opening up uh, more and more. So are we, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to be linear, but we are, are we mostly on the path back now, whatever the shape of that looks like? Well, we couldn't be going much further down, Greg, given all the money that's been thrown at this issue. Uh, and if people are locked up in their houses, they can't go out to work, although some people are working from home. Uh, in, in the white collar uh, area, um, uh, so 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 we 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 must have, you know, the beginnings of a recovery if you send people back to work, and I would anticipate that over the, um, you know, the next um, three months or so could be four months. You'll see very large increases uh, in the economy as well. You should. I mean, it's just simply people uh, going back to work. Uh, and the question is how long that appearance of a rapid recovery uh, continues and, and until you realize that there are businesses that have gone out of businesses that they can't hire people. And, and so you probably will have a, a, a bit of a V here uh, for several months. That wouldn't surprise me. And, and then, you know, probably flatten out and most experts uh, think it'll be uh, several years uh, before you get the economy fully back uh, to where it was in 2019. Yeah, and, and uh, Steve, you, you mentioned the, the response that uh, you talked about the Fed and, and the firepower they brought uh, and the federal government. Um, clearly, lessons learned from the past and, and in particular the, the financial crisis. And you remember the the first time uh, Secretary Paulson put TARP forward, it was voted down in the market. I think it went down a thousand points that day. This time they were on it uh, pretty quickly and and pretty effectively. Uh, and I know you're in dialogue with lots of people in those in the decision making role, uh, you know, across all those entities. So uh, seems seems like they 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 responded quickly and mostly effectively. Yeah, I I, I give this one a real uh, A grade. Uh, it was uh, bipartisan, uh, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, although there's always a little bit of friction, but uh, from, 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 from talking directly and indirectly with the four uh, top people uh, in the Congress, they, they all, each of them articulated uh, either directly or indirectly that they knew if they didn't act, the, the, the country would fall into a depression. Uh, and that's not why they were elected. And I give big credit to all four of them that uh, they, they, they work cooperatively and delivered the goods, if you will, for uh, the American people. Uh, nothing is perfect when you have, you know, sort of rushed um, immense scale, unprecedented scale uh, legislation. Uh, but, but you'd have to give it a great grade uh, for stabilizing the situation and giving us time to work through the COVID issues uh, uh, to get the country back to work. Yeah. Now, one, one thing I'd also say, Jared, you asked me uh, 
you know, sort of what we were seeing. One one interesting thing that happened uh, last week uh, is uh, we, we, we own a, a large hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, Las Vegas was closed and they opened it. I forget whether it was Friday of last week or Thursday or Monday of this week. Uh, and our, our, our um, uh, occupancy is, uh, I think it's either 40 or 45 percent, just like in the first week. That's astonishing. Like, where did that come from? Uh, and it tells you something uh, about the potential uh, of, of frustrated people uh, in their in their homes uh, who want to get out and do something. Yeah, and actually, Steve, that's a great uh, theme for us to pursue a little bit because uh, Blackstone is literally the largest real estate owner in the world. Um, and one of the things that that exists in the in, in the environment now is that everybody's become an expert uh, on commercial real estate and how people are going to work uh, going forward and working remotely, as you said, particularly in, in white collar businesses like ours is, uh, you know, it's been pretty seamless this time uh, for, for, for so many, certainly for us and I know for, for you all. Uh, what, what are your perspectives on the real estate market, uh, you know, the commercial real estate market uh, across uh, the country and in, in, uh, in a return? I mean, it was, it was maybe one of the most vibrant markets in, in recent memory as recently as February. Um, you know, I, I tend to think people are still going to mostly go to offices uh, with, um, you know, remote work no longer being viewed as kind of a day off, but still there's going to be more people than not in offices. Uh, but you all have great insight into this. Any, any thoughts on this? Well, nobody knows the right answer uh, on office yet. It's to be seen, but commercial real estate has a lot of different pieces of it. Uh, it goes from malls. Uh, which have had a terrible outcome and uh, most likely will continue to uh, be uh, underperformers to hotels, uh, uh, most of which, uh, the vast majority of which were just shut. Uh, and I'd say that, you know, that ties either to driving or to um, uh, air travel. Uh, if it's tied to driving, uh, it, it'll probably come back uh, pretty quickly. If it's tied to air travel, uh, it'll come back slower uh, with international air travel uh, coming back uh, by far the uh, uh, the slowest. So the hotels that play off of that, I think, will have um, uh, difficulty. Uh, in, in, in the residential area, uh, you know, those are houses and apartments. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we've had a very good, surprisingly good uh, experience with our um, uh, multifamily uh, uh, assets. Um, uh, you know, there was all kinds of concerns about people who wouldn't pay rent. Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it's somewhere around 7%, which is, um, which is much lower than uh, people thought. And one of the reasons is a lot of people have a lot of money from from the stimulus and and um, uh, and, and so rather than run the risk of something going wrong with housing, uh, they're paying uh, uh, that. Uh, we 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 have a, a remarkable part of commercial real estate that we're either the largest or second largest investor in the world. I forget uh, which are warehouses. 
which are used to facilitate uh, online shopping, among other things. And, 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 and that, uh, um, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, asset class has barely skipped a beat uh, and, and has sort of powered through uh, the COVID prices. And that leaves us a major sector office buildings. And, you know, that divides into two classes, uh, a big urban and suburban. Uh, and uh, it's, it's hard to know yet exactly how things are going to play out um, because um, a lot of the people who are in offices and had to not go there have, have worked from home uh, uh, virtually. Uh, and in certain industries, that's worked out pretty well, particularly uh, uh, finance. Um, I, you know, it's, 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 it's efficient to work from home. You don't have to travel. You can sleep later. Uh, there's less stress getting home uh, because you're already at home. Uh, on the other hand, um, uh, spending enormous time at home has uh, uh, negatives as well as positives, which most people have all, uh, experienced. And, and one thing that you can't do uh, if you're working virtually is you can't uh, inculcate culture uh, and bring on in the next cohort into your company and train them uh, to adopt the culture uh, that you have because that's really difficult uh, to, to do on Zoom. Uh, you know, people can't talk simultaneously. The, um, um, you know, you don't get a chance to have that individualized instruction. It's harder to spontaneously assemble groups. So my, my own uh, hunch uh, is that some, some parts uh, of the workforce will find it, uh, you know, sort of congenial to work remotely. Uh, ironically, it's a lot of the tech people uh, who, who perhaps can even work better outside an office setting in some cases. Uh, but people who are in collaborative parts of the business um, do well uh, on autopilot for a while. But I, I think uh, there, there's something really to be gained by people having that frequent unstructured interaction. Uh, and, and so they will uh, uh, come back to the offices. Exactly what the timing of, of that is, is a, a little difficult to uh, uh, figure out it may be uh, focused around um, uh, uh, sort of vaccine, um, but I, I don't think a vision of uh, empty office buildings everywhere and everybody working at home is not uh, the vision that I expect to be happening. I, I think that's a little bit of a, a moment in time because all these office buildings, of course, are empty now. Uh, and the world is going on, but the world actually isn't fully going on. Yeah, actually, it's interesting, Steve. I, I, I had a group of, uh, of our team uh, on a video call the other day where I was walking through how, how things are going and taking questions. And I said that to, to the people on the screen. And, you know, we, we were on, uh, you know, Microsoft Teams, you have nine people you can put on a screen. But it, it's just very hard to project culture to 
to you know to get a real sense of each individual to have the collaboration. So I'm with you, and I and I uh, I think for a lot of businesses, uh, uh, you know, the the efficacy of working remotely has been proven. So that will be something that lasts and will at the margin influence what people do at different points in time. But the you know the the uh, the process of working closely together with others and all of the the positives that come out of that, I think, will will bring lots of people back into offices. Um, but Steve, you talked about culture, and you've built uh, an incredible firm over so many years, uh, and um, uh, and an incredible culture. Um, what is it? You know, what are some of the things that you all have been focused on as uh, at Blackstone, you and your leadership team, in terms of leadership during this time, as you said, it is unique. This is the first time uh, you, you and I have, have clicked a, a number of these and, and uh, uh, if you counted them, you know, back to where you began your career, uh, you know, I don't know how many, 10 or 12 or 15 events that are significant events, but this is the only one where uh, everybody was working remotely pretty much. So what are some of the, and we did talk with Shelly about this, uh, who's on your board, Shelly Lazarus, what are some of the, the the things that your leadership team is focused on and skills that leaders need during this time? Well, I think um, the first of it is um, concern and touches with your people. Um, uh, you know, working at home uh, uh, or working virtually uh, is somewhat isolating. Uh, and, you know, uh, some people are, uh, emotionally strong and some people are more vulnerable and you know the first thing is to make sure you uh, increase your number of um, uh, uh, interactions and connections with your people when in doubt schedule a call when in doubt talk to somebody uh, and make sure that everybody's okay uh, secondly uh, we 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 we've, we've develop some different ways of communicating. So uh, we actually now have a uh, firm-wide uh, opening to the week uh, with sort of the top uh, six people uh, at the firm, six or seven. Uh, that includes uh, myself and uh, president of the firm, John Gray, our uh, chief financial officer, uh, Michael Che. We have our economists, uh, uh, on uh, to talk about what they're seeing, uh, uh, Brian uh, Ween and uh, uh, Joe Zabel. Uh, uh, we we have uh, our in-house doctor, uh, Bob Galvin. Uh, we have uh, our capital markets people, uh, and and we have our government relations uh, person, uh, and and they all give a brief. So that everyone at the firm can see what they're seeing, and so so we'll typically have uh, about uh, uh, two thousand people, uh, sometimes more, uh, on that call. We also do some fundings. Uh, you know, we have you know awards we give up, and we ask people to submit uh, uh, photos uh, and uh, you know or funny videos. Uh, of stuff going on in their lives uh, so, so that we're all humanized and uh, uh, part of what I do uh, 
is I recommend uh, programs to watch uh, or, or avoid uh, because everybody at night now you're watching more, you know, Netflix and and Hulu's and and Amazons and so forth and movies. Uh, so I'm our uh, movie and television reviewer, uh, and so I have firm views on these things, and I only want our people to see things that are fun and interesting and uh, provocative. And, and so, you know, by the time you finish that call, it's about 45 minutes, uh, sometimes uh, 50. Uh, everybody at the firm hears the same thing. We set the table uh, for, for everyone. Uh, we have all kinds of special uh, mental health uh, uh, types of uh, services uh, uh, available. Um, and, and, and some of us talk about, you know, just sort of a very candid way, the risks of, of being at home and, and, you know, the fact that the sales of alcohol were up 455% in the month of uh, uh, April compared to the previous April. And that means there are lots and lots of people using alcohol. And we talk about it and how, how you have to be really careful. And if anybody's developing a problem, here's what number you call. So, so I think there's a, a need for the senior management of, of a firm uh, to, to, to really look after uh, their people at a time of um, enormous dislocation. That's a fantastic. I have to say that uh, you know we're we're I, I'm in, in my team. We're doing a lot of uh, a lot of that communication and a lot of those things. But I'm listening to some of the things you're you're saying, and I'm thinking you know uh, I can broaden it. We can broaden it. So it's it's terrific advice for anybody leading any organization. Uh, and it is um, it is a uh, you know we went and it happened with such speed and and, and such a shock to the system where. You know, all of a sudden, everybody was uh, was at home, um, and and you know there are some real positives in terms of, as you said, the lack of the commute, and um, you know maybe the almost uh, with the group I, I I had on the other day, we you know a lot of new puppies, a lot of uh, higher higher percentage of time exercising, um, so positives, but also you know isolation and and and, and functioning in a way where. Um, nobody's really done it before. It's all new to everybody. So uh, those are, that sounds terrific, uh, uh, the, the things that are happening there. What, what about for you, Steve, uh, uh, personally, the, the working remotely, you, you've had to make adjustments too. I mean, I don't know, how, how many days a year do you typically travel uh, outside of your main office in New York and that that goes away? So how, how has it been working for you remotely? Well, I, I, I travel over, you know, I'm, I'm out of New York City at least half a year, uh, sometimes more. Uh, so I've been in, um, uh, in Florida where I just happened to be by accident for a weekend uh, and my general counsel contacted me and said, don't come back. I said, why not? They said, bad things may happen to you. And we know you won't stay at home. You'll come to the office. That's your nature. I said, yeah, that's my nature. They said, you're too old. You're too vulnerable, uh, and um, uh, so you have to stay where you are. So, uh, so uh, being the passive person that I am, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I said, uh, okay, uh, I'll do that. It's now three months later, uh, and um, here I am, uh, same place, uh, 
in, in, in Florida, where I just happened uh, uh, to be. Uh, and, um, you know, it is um, unusual. It's, it, it's, it's like practice for, um, you know, sort of pre-retirement or something, although I never have any desire to retire. So, so um, you, 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 you learn that there's a different pace. And, you know, I'm very busy today. I had my first Zoom at um, uh, uh, 8.30. Uh, sometimes they start earlier and it goes for like a whole day and it's like real work, except, you know, I'm doing it sitting out uh, in a garden and uh, looking at some palm trees and some water and it's very sunny today. And, and so, so that's like a different gestalt uh, if you will, but but uh, mentally you're 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 still very engaged, and if you have uh, extra time, you just do more physically. Uh, you know, you train more, and you get in better shape, and you know it's sort of like repair work for the intense life that almost everybody uh, we tend to work with or deal with lives that kind of similar life, no matter where they are in the world. Uh, and all of a sudden, it slows down from a physical perspective. So it's it's sort of interesting, but um, you know, enough's enough. I never wanted to retire. I I, I think uh, <laughs> something bad would happen to you if you did this stuff all the time. Yeah, no, no question. I agree with a lot of those sentiments. Um, I wanted to shift gears, Steve, because uh, you, you, you do a tremendous amount in the education space as well, both from a philanthropic standpoint, but you're very involved uh, in the United States and around the world. And we had three university presidents that uh, I talked with last Friday around um, uh, the challenges of running a, an academic institution now and also the challenges of trying to get the students back on campus, which uh, students overwhelmingly want. I have two uh, in college at home and uh, they and their friends dramatically prefer being in for the same reason you said, I think uh, for similar reasons about, you know, uh, people will go back to offices. The experience is just much more limited if you're not on, you know, in the, the learning community and all three university presidents said that as well. So what, what you know, for, for recent graduates and for, for students that are heading back in the fall, um, you know, for, for this generation, if we even go there, the millennials and Generation Z, you know, what advice do you have for a recent graduate or somebody who's uh, wrapping up university uh, today? Does it differ from three months ago? Is there different advice coming from you uh, for, for people in that, in that, uh, that window in a post-COVID world? Well, uh, for sure. Um, you know, I just finished uh, doing a virtual graduation speech uh, for the Schwarzman Scholars, uh, which is a program I started in, uh, located in uh, Beijing, um, uh, where our students had to scatter uh, all over the world as soon as um, uh, COVID hit uh, China. Uh, and they're in 40 different countries. Uh, we set up one of the first uh, virtual uh, programs uh, and they've actually had a fantastic experience because we beat ourselves up to get that uh, done because there was no alternative uh, for that for us. Um, and in effect, uh, that plus the 
the recent uh, issues uh, uh, with uh, regarding uh, George uh, Floyd and so forth has made this period uh, uh, for students, uh, uh, you know, one of discontinuity, uh, you know, an enormous challenge, one to even just get through your educational thing, let alone um, uh, find a job, get a job. Uh, and it, 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 it basically raises the bar and, and turns you more into uh, scramblers uh, because you, you, you have to position yourself uh, in a way that most of us have never uh, uh, experienced. Uh, we've never experienced shutdown economy. Unemployment that got to almost 20% came back a little bit um, uh, now. Um, uh, you know, most businesses not wanting to hire much in the way of uh, new people um, before they understand what their real demand uh, for for people uh, uh, is. And, and so, you know, in effect, um, uh, this group actually is lucky uh, because when you start out and things are tough, you just don't expect them to always work for you. And and um, you know what what I, what I tell people uh, who who are younger is there are people hiring. You can find a way. It's very helpful if if you uh, are, are are smart and driven. You have to use networks. Uh, to, to get uh, introductions, uh, and then you have to prosecute that. And if that doesn't work, you'll find something entrepreneurial uh, that, that you'll uh, help create uh, best done with some other people because psychologically being alone in the midst of a time period like this is not, not a good thing to be doing, too tough. Uh, but, you know, the, the economy will recover. Uh, and and you'll find a way, uh, but but you have to be emotionally set up uh, for setbacks. Uh, but the world will evolve differently. There'll be way more things in technology, uh, in uh, uh, medicine, uh, and uh, uh, other types of uh, fields. And because these people are young and flexible, uh, they can move to where the puck's going to be. Uh, as opposed to people, uh, you know, who are, who are just much further advanced in their careers. So it's not end of world. It's a changed world. It's a more difficult world. Uh, but, but you know, um, uh, it, it, as long as you're totally in touch with that and find a way around it, it'll, it'll position you well for your future. That's fantastic, Council, and it's and I've been saying some of those very similar sentiments uh, to to mine and to those uh, those friends of my mine minor 24, 21, and 20. And I think uh, it's a long life ahead, and you're already learning to deal with uh, challenge. Uh, Steve, on, on the on the topic of um, you know some of the recent social unrest, um, uh, you, you have been been on this theme before, which is uh, looking to increase levels of diversity and private equity and, and trying to drive, um, uh, you know, uh, increase minority representation and, 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 
and use that as a mechanism to to uh, to drive social progress, uh, uh, which is a key part of everything we're, that's going on right now. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, that in the in the private equity uh, space and and uh, and and how the the firm that you've built and the industry you're part of and the things that you have an influence on uh, can be part of the solution going forward here? Yeah, sure. I I think there's there's been a profound uh, uh, awakening uh, on uh, these uh, uh, issues uh, over the last uh, uh, several uh, weeks. Uh, you know, uh, uh, triggered by the the gruesome uh, sort of uh, killing uh, uh, of George uh, Floyd. Um, there are those of us who, for many years, have been uh, concerned about uh, these types of issues. And you know, I, I think there are a number of baseline things. Uh, the first is, um, you know, you have to actually be running uh, an organization that, that believes in uh, uh, diversity and and uh, meritocracy uh, and hires all comers. Uh, Without regard uh, to to uh, you know race or or gender uh, or sexual orientation and so forth and you know we've tried uh, uh, to uh, live by that um, you know credo uh, part of what makes a great organization is is by hiring uh, uh, great people uh, I. Um, started thinking more seriously uh, about this around five years ago uh, and gave some talks about uh, what I'd called at that time a Marshall Plan uh, for the middle class. And, and, and this would include uh, the groups that are not, uh, uh, you know, as, as well uh, uh, integrated in, into the upward mobility of America, um, and and you know it sort of had um, you know three parts. The first is is that um, you know uh, America generally uh, has had its uh, its its middle class and lower income people uh, not, not sharing enough in uh, the um, uh, the benefits of the economy, and I thought. That increasing the minimum wage uh, was 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 quite a powerful uh, approach uh, to start. And you know, if you increase the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, it may be different in some other parts of the country. Um, that uh, that huge increase, by the time it rolls through, uh, people who are getting less than that. Uh, uh, if you take the bottom of the scale, move it to 15, somebody who was making uh, 10 isn't happy making 10 anymore. They have to go above the 15. That that would be more or less a tax on the business community, some of which would pass through, some of which would hit margins. Uh, but I thought uh, that would hit around 35% uh, of the population that would get a big uh, uh, boost. Uh, and I thought that was like important. Um, uh, the second uh, is that um, the way for uh, social mobility uh, is in large part through the education system. 
and and the U.S. education system has been in uh, decline uh, since uh, roughly 1970. And when I was young, we were one of the top in the world, and now we're somewhere uh, between number 25 and 30, and you don't win. Your society doesn't win uh, unless it becomes educated. There are a lot of different things you can do that can benefit every segment uh, of society. And uh, one thing I think is very important is that you attract uh, really uh, great talent uh, into the school system to become teachers. And, and I had an idea, uh, which I think is a good one, uh, which is that teachers uh, should be the only uh, tax-exempt uh, occupation in the United States. Uh, and by doing that, you would make teaching uh, much more attractive uh, economically without, in effect, having to raise, raise teacher compensation directly. This would be an indirect way of doing it. But secondly, uh, and at least as important, it says we value teachers. Uh, it's super important. Uh, and that value, which we used to have uh, 50 years ago, I think has been somewhat uh, degraded now, and we need to change that. The third thing uh, is that um, uh, not, not all um, uh, you know, people who go through the U.S. schooling system are, are meant to be uh, nuclear physicists. Uh, and there are all kinds of potential occupations, and some uh, people are, are, are not necessarily uh, uh, best geared to go through a four-year college. Um, some are. Um, uh, that that uh, we need to engage the business community uh, with a variety of different programs, like they do in Germany, uh, to to help teach uh, and, and and mentor and apprentice uh, students in high school who wouldn't be on necessarily the college track uh, to give them training, uh, so that when they come out of school. They're not just dumped on society as unemployed people, uh, but they have skills uh, and a place uh, uh, to go. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I believe in that program. I think it's good uh, uh, for basically uh, uh, everyone below a certain income level uh, in, in the society. We, we also are looking at some things uh, regarding uh, you know, special incentives for uh, people who have not had the same uh, uh, educational advantages currently in terms of potential uh, uh, hiring uh, in um, our portfolio companies. And, and there's some very good programs that, that some of our people are involved with that we're discussing. So that's, um, that's perhaps a longer answer, Greg, uh, than you wanted, but no, it's a terrific answer, Steve. The the the, the notion of uh, tax exempt teachers, I, I think that's a uh, a terrific idea. Does, does it, has that gotten traction anywhere? Uh, uh, you well, know, it, it's interesting. Whenever I mention it, it always gets the exact same response that that you just evidenced. So so uh, I, I think. Uh, this is something that should be uh, on um, the agenda as, as people look at how to improve society for all. Yeah. Well, you know, there's another topic I wanted to talk about in that in that space, uh, 
which I know you also uh, uh, have insight into. Um, and this is something we've been we've been working on uh, at Rockefeller for some time, in part because the Rockefellers themselves, the family, has been very focused on impact investing, sustainable investing for a long time. Um, and one of the one of the things that you again, there's a, a lot of commentary on this now, uh, and and I'm sure some of it is uh, uh, is um, is on point, and some of it is probably more than what will happen. But the notion that uh, COVID-19 might be uh, an accelerant on uh, ESG and sustainable investing, uh, which is farther ahead in Europe and in some places around the world than it is in the U.S., but gaining momentum here and has had uh, you know a fair amount of uh, attention and big firms really push it uh, uh, more recently. Um, you know we're proud of the fact that we've got track records that go back uh, you know, literally dozens of years in this, thanks to the Rockefeller family. But do you think that uh, sustainable investing and the whole ESG space uh, uh, will will take on even more momentum in a post-COVID-19 world? Well, I I think what I think it's an issue of what post-COVID means. Uh, if it means we stay uh, uh, in, in, a, in a slower growth world, uh, which will ultimately impact financial markets, uh, I, I think it might be uh, uh, difficult to sustain uh, the same uh, momentum. Uh, uh, if we recover, uh, in the good case, uh, it should come back. Uh, most investors, uh, when they experience a 34% drawdown uh, in their equities, become generally uh, more cautious, has been my experience. Uh, and, and they like to see the world sort of stabilizing uh, so that their assumptions of what went before continues in the future. So, so as of today, with markets up pretty much, it, it probably shouldn't adversely affect uh, the trends in that area. But if markets uh, turn down, uh, I think the reality is it's not about concept. It, it's just when people have less money, will they be more cautious? Generally, historically, they always have been. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we're, we're pushing hard and, and the, the, the space is maturing much more so that, you know, there's not a trade-off between performance and being in the space. Um, but it, you're you're 100 spot on. We see this with uh, you know clients across the spectrum. The the shock of the up and down here causes people to uh, to stand back and uh, and 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 be cautious. Uh, but we're seeing nice momentum in it uh, uh, in, in our world. Steve, um, uh, given um, the 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 different things you've done with your career, including. Uh, uh, the you know outside the the business and finance space the uh, the advice you've given leaders um, and um, the breadth of interest uh, people are always interested in in uh, the, the different things that occurred over the course of your career so uh, you do and you've talked about this uh, whether it's in the book or at different times in the past but inflection points for you 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 mentioned that one of the some of the advice you give the young people today is that, uh, you know, it, 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 life's going to go on. And there's plenty of opportunity and you're learning now that there's adversity and you got to work your way through it. Uh, you, you've had uh, a couple of, uh, at least a couple of major inflection points in, in your career. W which are the one or two that you would highlight 
to to uh, demonstrate for uh, for people uh, the you know the, the the impact on on everybody. Uh, you know, as you as you look back, uh, and as you said, uh, I, I believe you. You're not going to retire, and it's a long run from here. But you look back on an incredibly successful career. What are the inflection points that you highlight uh, along the way? Well, what, what I'd say is everybody in this call probably well knows that life is not a straight line. Uh, and particularly if you do uh, entrepreneurial types of things, which I do, uh, sometimes you sort of scratch your head and wonder, how did I ever get in this movie? Did I do this myself to myself? Uh, and, um, you know, the first time we raised a private equity fund, neither my partner nor I had ever made an investment. Uh, and I announced that we were going to raise, uh, I guess it was the third biggest fund in the world, the, the biggest first-time fund at a billion dollars. And, and um, you know, we sent out our memo to about 450 people, and we only had two people who wanted to see us. Uh, and uh, uh, they both had a relationship uh, to, to, to us. And um, we, 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 we got circles uh, for... Um, $75 million, but they were both contingent on us raising $500 million. And our first uh, 18 uh, best targets, uh, the rest of them said, uh, we have no interest in you. So if you haven't been rejected a lot uh, in your life by people you know, it's a very interesting experience. Uh, and um, you wonder, why don't they trust us? We trust ourselves. Uh, and Basically, after we ran through our our top 18, um, we knew we'd never get to 500, which meant that those two commitments were worthless, which means we were going to fail, and fail pretty visibly because we were at that point uh, visible people, and we made an announcement we were going to raise a billion dollars, only the hubris of the young, uh, and you know we'd be shamed, embarrassed, and fail. Uh, and that would be sort of pretty much our principal investment uh, business wouldn't exist. So other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, uh, how was the play? Uh, and, um, you know, we, we, we on the 19th uh, call, we were calling on someone we didn't know well. And it also shows you never know. Uh, and it was the Prudential Insurance Company over in New Jersey. And the chief investment officer, Garnet Keith, uh, we were having lunch and he liked what we were saying and he looked at me and he said, well, put, put us down for 100. And I, I, I couldn't figure out 100 what. Uh, and it was $100 million from the biggest investor in the world at that point. Uh, and then I knew we'd somehow crack it. Uh, and we did, we raised 850 and then a year later we got another 100. Um, uh, so, um, we raised 950, not even knowing what we were doing, other than other people were doing and it was working. So, you know, I knew those people and I figured they weren't much different than us. So, why couldn't we do the same thing? But every entrepreneur has these time periods where things look completely uh, hopeless and you give it your best shot and it just isn't happening. And I, I've had a lot of those, and uh, they almost all you you can outlast them and prevail. Uh, but 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 you need enormous uh, perseverance, 
uh, dedication, belief in your idea, belief in yourself, uh, emotional stability, and the ability to take pain. Uh, I don't know how to describe it otherwise. And then, you know, when you win, uh, at the end, people say, well, I always knew they'd be successful. Uh, success is not destined for anyone. Uh, and, uh, you know, you really have to work at it 110%. Uh, you know, work-life balance is an interesting concept at, you know, some business school. But work-life balance, when you're fighting for your life uh, uh, commercially, uh, doesn't work so well. So, so I could go on endlessly, Greg, on points of inflection because there have been many. Uh, uh, but but I, I gave you one, but also told you just psychologically and, 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 and in terms of the experience itself, uh, how it works. So, so before I end, I just wanted to mention being a commercial uh, person. Uh, two things we're doing with... Uh, with uh, Rockefeller, I think, that's going to come out. One is our B-REIT uh, uh, product that you've sold a bunch of, and um, it's really a nice product. We we buy uh, uh, real estate. We've avoided it almost all of the bad classes, and, um, uh, you know, it's sort of like a 6% current and a 10% uh, um, uh, you know, total return. Uh, in a world where treasuries are double digit, uh, that's not so bad. Uh, and it's a very conservative uh, product. The second thing that we're doing now is we're, we're raising a, a growth uh, uh, equity fund, which is really fun. Uh, the first thing we bought was a company called Bumble. So if there are any women uh, in, in the audience, this is like a dating site that, that has a bias uh, towards, towards women. Uh, and, you know, that's growing very rapidly. We're only going to be investing in things that have a proven economic model that are already growing quite quickly that can use the expertise of a firm like Blackstone to help it uh, grow further. So um, I, I think it's really an exciting thing. We have a terrific guy named John Korngold, who I think Greg knows, um, who, I mean, he's just fantastic. He was at General Atlantic and before that, Goldman Sachs. I think we're going to have really big success. Uh, Matt, my 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 legal counsel, if he was on the phone, would say, "Steve, why did you say that?" And I say, <laughs> say I say that because I believe that, uh, or else I wouldn't say it. But uh, those are two things you might want to uh, uh, consider because I think they'll turn out uh, uh, as advertised. That's great, Stephen. We, uh, you know, we we already have a, a comprehensive relationship with Blackstone. Think the world of uh, the firm that you've built into such a firm, and uh, uh, we we will, um, uh, you know, continue to 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 show uh, great great uh, Blackstone products to our clients. Uh, before I let you go, I've got one. I would like to give you the one final word along the following lines, and that is. Um, you know, the, the, we, we've had, uh, if I just think about recent 20 years, September 11th, the credit crisis, uh, you know, the, the COVID-19 uh, uh, situation, the social unrest that you throw on, uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on in the world and it seems to be happening at an, a, an accelerated rate and more frequently, which could be true, even though maybe other generations would, would have said that. 
given the connectivity of the world and how much technology brings it closer together. And um, again, are you, you've been so integrally involved in so much in this country. Are you optimistic about, uh, you know, moving forward uh, in in this country uh, and, and our ability to continue to work through these different situations and, uh, you know, and actually, I'm, I'm leading the witness. I'm uh, I'm turning it over to you to end on an optimistic note. Uh, however, you would like to do that. Well, thank you for rigging the answer. Um, <laughs> I, tr- you know. uh, what what I'd say is uh, uh, that 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 the world has really changed, and what's changed it uh, is uh, the internet. And the ability to instantly communicate. Uh, the uh, uh, on the negative side, it's the ability to bully uh, society to have small groups of people get together to oppose anything they don't like, uh, and and multiply their voice to the point where it becomes uh, uh, difficult to drown out. And and you know uh, uh, these small numbers of people relative to the whole society. Uh, can end up um, uh, setting uh, uh, agendas. Uh, and uh, I, I remember, uh, this is probably around one of the five years ago, uh, the Secretary of State here in the United States said to me, he said, Steve, no Western government uh, can, can uh, run its affairs uh, in as coherent and cohesive and successful manner as it could uh, before the internet and social media uh, had um, um, multiplied to the point that almost anything we try and do, someone instantly tries to defeat. Uh, I, I, I gave a, a large amount of money to MIT to start their new uh, school of computing, uh, and they had a big day where they had uh, a lot of famous people from computer science um, uh, in attendance, and, and they each gave like a 15 or 20 minute talk. And the first person who got up uh, was um, a person who was involved uh, inventing uh, the internet. Uh, This was not Al Gore. This was actually somebody uh, who did it. Uh, And I I was looking forward to his remarks and he said, um, he said one of the biggest mistakes in my career was inventing the internet. Uh, And um, he, he said none of us who were involved in that enterprise um, imagined that such uh, bad outcomes could happen for society. We sort of looked at it as something cool to do uh, that could move scientific data instantly around the world that would be very helpful. Uh, and surprisingly, every other person who got up as a touring prize winner and other people said the same thing. And the first guy said, I'm gonna spend the rest of my career trying to undo what I did. So uh, I, I, I think, and you're seeing this now with issues regarding Facebook and Twitter and politicians being involved in accuracy and, and, and in effect uh, control of messages and narrow casting, if you will of individual views, whether they're right or wrong, doesn't matter whether you're left or right. Um, so so I, I think the challenge uh, uh, going forward for everyone 
is how do we keep our balance and make wise decisions in the context of this continual assault uh, from small groups of, uh, of people uh, with, with agendas and the ability to create um, uh, a, a assembly. It leads to uh, fragility uh, in terms of the stability of, uh, uh, of, of uh, governments. And, and so in terms of the things I worry about, it's not the normal economic uh, uh, flow. I wasn't worried about the economic cycle. Uh, the financial institutions are quite stable. Uh, it's this type of thing that I think presents the biggest challenge uh, for, for uh, certainly the Western uh, uh, liberal democracies uh, going forward. And uh, I, I tend not to be an optimist or a pessimist. I tend to be you know, sort of an assessor of where risk is. And I think this is where the risk is uh, for, for our society. Wow, I think you're spot on. And I, I led it only a little bit. Uh, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I was in the same neighborhood, but you nailed it. Uh, and, I, and I do think that's one of the things that we're grappling with. And, and, uh, and it, it's, it is going to get harder and harder. Uh, Steve, um, uh, fantastic, as, as always. Uh, We've done this before. I think it gets better each time. Uh, really appreciate you, you coming on and spending all this time today. Uh, so thank you for, for doing it. Well, it's my it's my pleasure. I love uh, uh, performing for Greg. He's a <laughs> good leader uh, and he's doing a wonderful job uh, with Rockefeller and co. Uh, and I congratulate you both for being involved, whether you're a client uh, or, or, or whether you're part of the team, uh, make, making the company better and better. Well, thank you uh, so much. Uh, and to our clients and, and friends and colleagues, thank you for being on today. As always, I will end with a, a quotation uh, uh, with Mr. Schwarzman here. Really, there was only one choice for me, uh, and it's uh, Aristotle uh, who said, and I quote, uh, Excellence is an art won by training and habituation. We do not act rightly because we have virtue or excellence, but we rather have those because we have acted rightly. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. End quote. Steve Schwarzman has uh, demonstrated that again and again uh, in his career and across a whole series of other areas that he's uh, invested time in. So. Uh, many thanks to Steve. All the best to uh, you, Steve, and to all of our clients uh, and others listening for a great weekend. Uh, stay uh, healthy, safe, and upbeat.